Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from the Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we cover this story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. I'm Glenn Smith. I'm editor of the newspaper's Watchdog and Public Service team, and I'm here with Avery Wilkes, an investigative reporter who has been covering this Murdoch case with me for well over a year now. Hey, uh, nice to be here in person. Normally I'm based out of Columbia, but I've come down to Charleston for a couple of days, so this is uh, a little different from our usual setup. It is exciting. We're in the same room together for a change. Uh, So today we're here to talk about a Sunday story that Avery just did on Creighton Waters. He's the chief prosecutor of the state grand jury. Thought I'd give you just a little bit of background on what that is. Uh, Formed by the legislature in 1989, the state grand jury works with the attorney general's office to investigate uh, complex cases generally that cross uh, multiple jurisdictions. They look into things like gangs and corruption and drug cases, fraud, um, and a lot of these things all intersect here in the Murdoch case. Uh, the grand jury is is a panel that's about 18 people. They meet uh, for about once a month for a few days, and they go over uh, various matters, very secret sort of proceedings. Um, there's an old saw in the legal profession that a grand jury will indict a hand sandwich if, if the prosecutor asks them to. State grand jury is a little bit different. They're a very meticulous group that goes through things with a fine-tooth comb and prepares big sweeping indictments against uh, really prominent uh, subjects. And, and the jurors in the grand jury, they get to ask questions as well. They're not just being uh, sort of paraded. I mean, they kind of are. That the, the prosecutor is bringing forth witnesses and uh, showing them documents and presenting them a case to try to show them that there's probable cause that a crime's been committed. But the grand jurors themselves can ask questions and and they can try to, you know, uh, add to the investigation. Sometimes they actually... Um, help develop the probe even further. They can. Uh, it, unlike a lot of panels, uh, th- they have the power to subpoena for documents and they can compel testimony. Uh, so the, being in charge of the state grand jury, I mean, you're working under a pretty high-pressure environment on some of the biggest cases that, that cross the attorney general's desk. So for starters, Avery, how did you go about writing and reporting this story? It took a while. I think it came together over the course of a month or two. I've obviously been working on this Murdoch case basically full time for uh, you know probably about a year now, and I was always curious about Creighton. And so as, as I interviewed lawyers and sources, and uh, you know tried to you know through the course of my normal reporting about learning what was going on in the Murdoch story, I would I would ask people about their impressions of Creighton, as well as his co-counsel in this case, Don Zelenka, who's uh, a legendary lawyer in the attorney general's office and has been there basically forever. Uh, and so I, I did what I always do when I'm profiling someone uh, w- once I decide to actually write this story, which is to read basically every story that's ever been written about them. Uh, I go through a, uh, a, a sort of, it's like a program that's called Newsbank that's offered through the library and uh, just, you know, punch their name in and, and go back as far as I can and really read everything, uh, every time they've been mentioned in, in a newspaper story. And that helps me sort of learn about who they are, where they're from, what jobs they've held in the past, um, other potential sources I might be calling for this story. Uh, so that's always kind of my, my first step. Um, and I wasn't really sure for a lot of this process what the story angle was. I, I just knew that 
I was interested in, in who this guy really was, what makes him tick, and, and really how he might stack up at trial against Murdoch's defense attorneys, who are much better known, I think it's fair to say, Dick Arputley and Jim Griffin, very charismatic, uh, very magnetic personalities, very experienced. And, and I knew that people from all over around the country, um, you know, we've got listeners in this podcast from, from New York and Seattle, they're all going to be tuning in and, and watching this on court TV and, and other live streams. And this is going to be South Carolina's OJ Simpson trial, essentially. So I wanted to give those people uh, a sense of, of who this guy is that they're seeing in the courtroom and, and what makes him tick and what drives him and why he's taking this case so seriously. So you interviewed close to two dozen people for this profile, uh, but Waters himself, as well as the attorney general's office, they declined to comment, right? Why was that? They did, and that's fairly normal for a story like this. Uh, I wish it weren't, uh, but uh, we, we call this the, the workaround profile, which is uh, basically when your, your main character, your subject, isn't talking to you. And so you have to do all this extra work, uh, and it really makes your job harder. Uh, and that's that's why I do the clip search. That's why I spoke to so many sources, because um, I'm, I'm kind of I'm learning things and I'm asking my next person about those things, uh, the next person I interview. And it's it becomes a much more uh, involved process. And I, I sort of feel bad at the end of the story because so many of the people that I interviewed are not even mentioned and their quotes don't even make it into the piece. And so actually in, in this story, I said I took 50 pages of notes. Uh, and I was sort of panicking because after all that, I still wasn't sure <laughs> how to whittle that down into a, a story. And uh, so I condensed that that Google Doc down to a, a 30 page Google Doc of really good notes and then uh, read through all those again and condensed those down to eight pages. And then from that, I, I felt like I had the, the really best stuff. And so I was able to write the story out of out of that basic outline. So I think that's how you really come up with a good, well-rounded profile. I know from, from doing a lot of these myself, sometimes the, uh, the the thinnest profiles are the ones where you actually talk to the, the person you're profiling because they're sort of laying their own legend on, on you exactly. and sort of framing yeah. it as, 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 you know, it's human nature to, to, to best suit them. Uh, it's much more interesting, I think, to go back to the to the beginning, you know, see how these people were raised, see who their friends were, to find out what makes them tick and what has driven them to be in these positions today. And I think that's what you came up with here. So what did you learn while writing this profile about Waters' upbringing and how he came to be in charge of the state grand jury? Yeah, I learned he is a Columbia native. He's the son of a, a well-respected local lawyer in town uh, who goes by the same name, Samuel Waters. Uh, his name is Samuel Creighton Waters, and, and so is Creighton's name, but uh, Creighton obviously goes by his middle name. Um, I learned that he was a, a talented musician, even at a young age, and I got a, a bunch of pictures of him uh, playing as a kid, playing guitar. Um, he also read a lot uh, for a kid his age, especially books about history and, and war and his friends really saw him as different back in even those early days and saw him as this really smart guy who was always trying to use big words and, and work them into his everyday conversation. Uh, so as I wrote in the story, it really didn't surprise anybody that he wound up at the University of South Carolina's Honors College, which in recent years has been recognized as the uh, top ranked public honors college in the country, uh, which personal plug I also attended <laughs> uh, and graduated a few years ago. Um, and then after that goes right into to USC's law school. And uh, I thought it was interesting that he actually graduated in 1996, which was two years after Murdoch did. Uh, he was a 1994 graduate. 
Uh, but then they lead these two very different lives. You know, Alec Murdoch uh, goes to work as a, a private attorney and a few years later winds up at his family's very prestigious, very powerful, very um, uh, uh, lucrative uh, uh, private law firm in, in Hampton, PMPD, while Waters went into public service. Uh, he clerked for a couple years out of law school with State Court of Appeals Justice Jasper Curitan, who uh, I'm told was one of his top mentors. He was a trailblazing black judge who was known for breaking a lot of barriers and also being really brilliant and fair uh, on, the, on the bench. And then after that, around 1998, Waters joined the South Carolina Attorney General's office and initially worked in the appellate division under another one of his top mentors, who was, uh, again, Deputy Assistant Attorney General Don Zelenka, who I mentioned before. Um, who is also working as Waters' co-counsel on this Murdoch case. So he argued death penalty cases as part of that division and defended convictions that other prosecutors had won. And he did that job for about a dozen years before he joined the state grand jury uh, in 2010. So uh, what are some of the big cases that Waters has worked on? Really just about every major case that comes through the state grand jury nowadays has Waters' fingerprints on them. I'm told he likes to have his hands in, in everything that the office handles uh, and that he can be a bit of a, a micromanager and maybe spreads himself a little thin uh, by taking on too much work himself, which is one of the reasons, as I mentioned in the story, that uh, he, he ends up working late and on weekends and holidays. Um, but he's done a lot of public corruption and, and white-collar cases, uh, like the case of Colleton County Sheriff Andy Strickland, who pleaded guilty to breach of trust and misconduct in office. Both of those sheriffs had their employees doing personal work for them and on their property and were spending public money on themselves. Uh, Waters, a couple years ago, also charged former Richland County Councilwoman Dahlia Myers with misspending public money on a whole host of personal expenses, and including luxury chocolates and, and travel all over the country and even internationally. And he also charged former Chester County Supervisor Shane Stewart with abusing his office and trafficking meth out of his county vehicle. Uh, he worked on the investigation that unseated former uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives Bobby Harrell, who was from Charleston. He worked on the state and federal investigation that lasted years into the $9 billion V.C. Summer nuclear power fiasco here in South Carolina. And that resulted in uh, the you know, charges against four businessmen, including the former CEO of Scana. Um, you know, he's worked a lot of prison, drug trafficking, and, and smuggling rings. Um, the list really goes on and on, and it's it's kind of amazing that he is able to do all of it and still remain uh, sane. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of these stories, uh, just as a side note and a plug, you can find on our Uncovered page at postandcourier.com. Uh, we've spent a past couple of years working with community newspapers around the state to uh, look into corruption, uh, misconduct by officials. Uh, a lot of the stuff that Avery just talked about can be found there. It's really interesting and really exposes a number of problems throughout the Palmetto State. Um, we've mentioned a number of sources you interviewed for this story, Avery. Uh, how, did, how did they describe Waters? In a lot of different ways, but with some overlap. Some people really like him, and they like working with him. They think he's a reasonable guy, although quite zealous about his job uh, and, and quite a difficult and uh, intense prosecutor and negotiator in, in plea negotiations. And others unapologetically do not like him. All, you know, They don't see eye to eye with him, or they've had bad experiences working cases with him. And, of course, it was a little bit difficult to get any of those folks to go on the record to uh, – 
bash the chief prosecutor of the state grand jury in the newspaper. Um, but but I've heard that you know waters can be difficult, especially in the eyes of defense attorneys who are trying to get a good outcome for their client. And I've heard he can be really demanding of his coworkers and some of the federal prosecutors that he works parallel in conjunction with, which can create tension between the, the you know the state attorney general's office and the U.S. attorney's office for South Carolina. But uh, in other respects, you know, a lot of the descriptions of him were were very much the same. Pretty much everyone described him as brilliant. Um, I heard stories about him going off the top of his head for for hours at court hearings, uh, you know, having this encyclopedic recall of facts and case law. And I mean, I was at the December 9th hearing where Waters gave a 21-minute monologue to the judge. And I think he may have referred to his notes once during that whole period. And he went point for point, paragraph for paragraph, and at times even word for word through this 23-page motion that he had filed probably about 36 hours beforehand. Uh, And that was all about the state's theory of of why Alec Murdoch allegedly killed his wife and son. So I I was, you know, given all of that, I was kind of surprised and, and interested to to see it in action and see just how well prepared and how well drilled he was on this uh, on this motion he was about to argue. He's known to work really long hours, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, colleagues and defense attorneys are used to getting work emails from him uh, really late on, on weekdays, you know, close to midnight, I've heard, uh, on holidays and on the weekends. Um, and some people that have worked closely with him say that his identity is is really intertwined with the state grand jury and that he really sort of measures himself by how many indictments and how many convictions he can win. Uh, but I, again, I have heard concerns that he he maybe spreads himself too thin and takes on too large of a caseload at one time uh, just because he really likes to have his hands in everything that the office does. So it's not at all uncommon for attorneys to, to go into public service like, like that and work for, you know, few years at the AG's office or, or the local solicitor's office or maybe the U.S. attorney's office even, and then quickly jump off into private practice and cash in and make, you know, two, three, maybe even more times the salary there than you would in government work. Uh, Creighton Waters has not done that. You mentioned in the story that he stayed at the AG's office uh, for years, despite having the opportunity to leave and go make more money in private practice. Why do you think he's turned down these opportunities and, and stayed the course as he has? Yeah, he's been there for 24 years, the last dozen of which have been with the state grand jury. Um, and and if, you, if you read the story, you probably noticed that a lot of the sources for the story were people like those you mentioned. They started off in, uh, you know, in, in one prosecution office or another and, and wound up becoming trial attorneys or uh, defense attorneys. And there's nothing shameful about that. But there are some people like Waters who just really enjoy the, the public service aspect of their jobs. And uh, are really interested in um, delivering justice to the bad guys, uh, which, which is something I, I heard about him many times. Um, the, my sense from talking to people is that he really loves working with the state grand jury and really enjoys wielding all of that investigative power you mentioned earlier. His friends say he has a really strong moral compass, and this job basically gives him a chance to go after the bad guys and root out systemic corruption in institutions, whether it be at the state house or at a big business or uh, some sort of nonprofit. Um, you know, he is able to sort of sick the grand jury on uh, institutions and, and people that are 
um, you know, misbehaving or that are setting the state back in some way. And I, I think he, he relishes that power. Um, you know, I didn't get into it in the story, but going back to the, the, the moral compass thing, um, I heard a lot of stories about uh, that sort of illustrated that from, from his friends and people who know him. But one that I wish I'd been able to get into the story and just couldn't was uh, about one of his friends, Josh Hubbard, who was actually a, a bassist in uh, the band he plays in. Um, was telling me about a time they were, you know, hanging out by a creek at Folly Beach in, in the Low Country, and um, Waters was tossing Hubbard's cast net, which is probably like a you know thirty dollar net, into the water. And typically, when you throw a cast net, you you tie the string around your wrist so you can reel it back in. But he had he'd forgotten to do that, so uh, you know this thirty dollar net was floating away. And um, Waters' response to that was to uh, hurl himself into the creek uh, after it fully clothed to to get it out and uh you know really wasn't really wasn't a big deal to lose that kind of thing but um that that that's the kind of guy he was you know that's what hubbard told me he's the kind of guy who would borrow your car with um you know the gas tank half filled and, and bring it back with a full tank of gas um and you know the other the other stories i heard and one that i mentioned in the in the uh in the article was a you know, this, this story about Greg Harris, who's a Columbia defense attorney, and his plea negotiation with Waters a few years back. Harris was defending a former Department of Transportation employee who had been caught up in a corruption sting and had been indicted by uh, Waters in the state grand jury. And Harris was trying to get his guy, you know, a favorable outcome. So he asked him for a light sentence. And uh, Waters really balked at that and basically said, I, I can't do that because that's going to send a terrible message. And the next guy, uh, it's not going to stop the next guy from from doing the exact same thing. And we also told the story of the time that Waters was unhappy with a plea deal that federal prosecutors had reached with the Berkeley County School District CFO, who had uh, been charged with stealing more than a million dollars from taxpayers. Um, you know, that CFO, Brantley Thomas III, he had gotten five years in, in federal prison after pleading guilty in federal court, but Waters just didn't think that was enough. So he went and charged the guy with a whole bunch of other state offenses and got him 11 years in prison in state court. So just an example, a couple examples of sort of, um, I think, what Waters relishes about the job. Our local listeners will certainly remember that uh, Brantley Thomas case. That made a lot of headlines here in the Low Country a few years back. He was a pretty mild-mannered uh uh, CFO guy, uh, very quiet, I guess, capable of his job doing ledgers and books and things, not the most exciting work. Uh, but it led this double life in which he was stealing lots of money and living this pretty high on the hog life. Some parallels here to the Murdoch case. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Although Alec Murdoch clearly uh, charged with taking a lot more cash and, and abusing life in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, Perhaps a story people aren't as familiar with, and a big revelation in this story is that Waters, who seems to be this by-the-book state prosecutor, has this rock star alter ego. How did you come across that? Yeah, I was really happy to to learn that. I play guitar myself, though not particularly well, and I've played in bands before, though they weren't particularly good. So, but I, I thought that was something that uh, that humanized him and, and made him relatable in a way that uh, perhaps he didn't come off. Uh, before. So I heard about Waters um, guitar playing from a couple of different sources. Uh, I believe they were trial lawyers who have worked with him on cases. And there was one telling me about how Waters was the kind of the kind of guy who you could be in a screaming match with during a plea negotiation. But then as, as soon as the clock hits five and, you know, everybody punches the card, 
you could go out to a, a concert with them and how they would they would go over to uh, you know grab a beer at the tin roof and, and listen to live music uh, or at the Senate hearing uh, Columbia and uh, so I was asking, you know, what, what kind of music does he like? And, you know, was told he, he's a big fan of rock and roll and used to be into the, the Iron Maidens and I, I believe still is into Iron Maiden. Um, I was also told that there were, you know, videos of him playing guitar on YouTube. So I go on this YouTube deep dive and find videos of him playing. Uh, and he's very, very good. You know, he's playing uh, the Eagles and he's playing Leonard Skinner and, you know, songs I grew up listening to with my dad. watching this whole other person than the person that I saw, uh, you know, in, in the suit and tie in the courtroom for all these Murdoch hearings. Um, so then I found the name of his band, uh, which is Soul Purpose, and I found him on Facebook and sent them a message and got in touch with the lead singer uh, and, and one of the former bandmates. And they, you know, agreed to, to talk with me and gave me all this great stuff. Uh, they gave me videos and photos of, of Waters uh, playing music. Um, I, I met with the lead singer, as I said, Zeke Bennett at a Starbucks in Columbia and interviewed him for a while. And he, he wasn't really used to dealing with the media and he seemed a little uncomfortable <laughs> with the whole process. So I was trying to explain to him what I was doing with this profile and, and why. And I told him, um, you know, people are going to be tuning into this thing from all over the country. So I, I want this story, this profile to be full of details that, that make him your friend um, a real three-dimensional person to the people watching and reading about this trial, not just some uh, nameless, faceless suit standing there in the middle of the courtroom. Um, and so I, I think in that respect, uh, this was a really good aspect of him that we were able to to write about. Uh, and I do, I do think that that helps humanize him and makes him a, a more sort of relatable character in this whole saga. Okay, well, that's all for now. As always, stay tuned with The Post and Courier for the latest updates in this case. You can follow us on Twitter at Post and Courier. You can find all of our latest coverage on our Murdoch landing page, postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. We'd love if you can send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. Please also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you like the show. 